This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Hello, 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 activators. An activator, by definition, is a substance used to induce or accelerate a reaction. You, my listeners, are the activators that are needed to shake things up in education in the realm of building and maintaining highly effective and successful teams in our schools. Welcome to the Squad Builder Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Gerard Phillips, Sr. Let's go. I'm glad that you were able to join me on today. I want to get into a topic that we all have experienced as teachers, specialists, leaders, or any other role that we may play in education. Today, we're talking about peer influence in this episode. And to me, there's two sides to peer influence. We ain't going to dwell on the negative side on today because to me, we all know what it is. To me, that's the maintaining of the status quo primarily, and then feeling some type of, another part is when we feel in some type of way, when our peers are going above and beyond for kids and we not quite understanding it and some, some hate and other things start creeping in. But this podcast is more about pushing the positive work forward. So we just want to focus on that positive side of peer influence, which we're going to, we're going to delve into. Now, when I think about positive peer influence, the effect of it can be so profound that it can indirectly even help our leaders and districts retain team members. The Squad Builder Podcast is all about building highly and effective teams in our schools and uh, you know promoting this profession and making sure that we do something about this teacher shortage. But I'm not just going off the cuff of everything that's on my mind right now. We're going we're gonna to set this up, and I'm going to use some, some research that I found to be very, very interesting. So these amazing editors and senior journalists at BBC Future had delved into a, a topic, and that topic was called Why Your Brain Never Runs Out of Problems to Find. Activators, this thing is deep, and I'm going to show you all how this shows up in our schools. So... BBC Futures research hit on what is referred to as, quote-unquote, concept creep or, quote-unquote, moving the goalposts. And this is when problems and issues and concerns seem to never go away or never seem to be solved because people or stakeholders or anybody involved keep altering their own perception on the definition of the problems, concerns, or issues. And I'm going to highlight three experiments that BBC Futures research team had um, conducted. So they, they go about bringing in some volunteers into the lab. And their first experiment or their case study 
it really wasn't even that challenging. They had generated some faces using technology, and these faces were strategically designed by the research team to range from being very harmless to very intimidating. And the volunteers were asked to decide which faces seemed threatening. So here's a quote straight from BBC about this first experiment. As we showed people fewer and fewer threatening faces over time, we found that they expanded their definition of quote-unquote threatening to include a wider range of faces. In other words, when they ran out of threatening faces to find, they started calling faces threatening that they used to call harmless. Rather than being a consistent category, what people considered threats, depending on how many threats they had seen lately. Next up was, uh, was another experiment. So they, they transitioned to part two, per se, in which the volunteers were shown colored dots on a screen, and they needed to decide whether the dots were blue or purple. So here's a quote straight from BBC Future about this second experiment. As blue dots became rare, people started calling slightly purple dots blue. They even did this when we told them the blue dots were going to become rare or when we offered them cash prizes to stay consistent over time. These results suggest that this behavior isn't entirely under conscious control. Otherwise, people would have been able to be consistent to earn a cash prize. So as research goes, um, the researchers started making some assumptions, as you do when you're gathering data, whether qualitative or quantitative. You're going to start making some assumptions, and then you're going to start you know, questioning some things. So this is what they did. They thought that maybe the results could have been a byproduct of the visual system, you know, things that they could see. So here is their third and last experiment or case study on this topic uh, with the volunteers. So this time, the volunteers had to read about different scientific studies or let me back it up. They read different scientific studies and all they had to do was decide what uh, was the specific studies ethical or unethical. So if they read one study, they had to figure out whether that one particular study they read was ethical or unethical and then they moved to the next one. Activators, what BBC Future stated blew my mind because here, other than the reading part, it wasn't like the visuals, like the last two. Here's a quote straight from the team. We were skeptical that we would find the same inconsistencies in these kinds of judgments that we did with the colors and threat. Moral judgments, we suspected, would be more consistent across time than other kinds of judgments. After all, if you think violence is wrong today, you should still think it is wrong tomorrow regardless of how much or how little violence you see that day. But surprisingly, this was incorrect. Instead, we found the same pattern. As we showed people fewer and fewer unethical studies over time, they started calling a wider range of studies unethical. In other words, just because they were reading about fewer unethical studies, they became harsher judges of what counted as ethical. Future research, of course, is underway to, you know, come up with some more effective interventions. But we'll end it here with this quote so that I can get right into comparing this to education and uh, where I want to go with this. So look at the research conclusion from BBC Future. Quote straight from them, um, conclusion of, 
you know, combination of these three different studies I just kind of hit the tip of the iceberg on. Research from cognitive psychology and neuroscience suggests that this kind of behavior is a consequence of the basic way that our brains process information. We're constantly comparing what is in front of us to its recent context. This kind of comparison could lead directly to the pattern my research group saw in our experiments. When threatening faces are rare, new faces would be judged relative to mostly harmless faces. So in a sea of mild faces, even slightly threatening faces might seem scary. One potential strategy, when you're making decisions where consistency is important, define your categories as clearly as you can. Wow, activators, I, I know it's a lot to digest. <laughs> Why our brain never runs out of problems to find. Y'all, we really got to work at tricking our brains while we are in these schools and trend toward the positive as openly as we can, even when we know that the problems exist and the problems are still there. Because if we let the problems that our mind will always find, as we see in this research, openly take over our actions, our talk, the way we interact with our colleagues, supervisors, anybody we come in contact with, parents, kids, we may eventually perpetuate the narrative that is going around that education is a field not to get into or a field to get out immediately. And with this podcast, I'm just one person. My guests are just one person. But collectively, we're we going to change this thing um, because we have the power to do that. Our influence holds that much weight. Activators, we got influence, y'all. Our collective influence is so powerful that we can have our younger colleagues looking at, looking at us as big brothers, big sisters. They'll be coming to us for guidance, and our guidance can push to get them through the rough patches that they're going to face in education where they don't want to jump ship, where they telling their friends that still may be pursuing their degrees, don't get in this field. Like, that's the type of influence we got. Our influence. For our younger colleagues or even new colleagues that, that come to our specific schools can be so profound that they don't want to leave a school ever because of the tone that we set. Not just the principal, the system principal, the superintendent, whatever, but us in the classrooms, even the nutrition team, the custodial team. That's the influence we got. We set the tone. The problems, our brain's going to always find those. It don't always got to start with admin, district office, etc. You can be the change. You can bring that undeniable energy where you light up any classroom you walk in and your energy can draw kids to you to not only learn from you, but glean life lessons from you. That can go for kids that may not even be on your roster in your class. Those kids will want to come visit you because they hear about you from their friends that are in your class. Word spread. Like that's how we need to start tricking our brains to change that narrative around us. Y'all, I feel this thing deep down within me. We got so much influence that can be used to really turn this ship around in education. One school, one district, one undergrad program at a time.
Y'all, let's change the narrative. Let's trick our brains. The problem is going to be there. We know that. We can work together to solve them, but let's not focus on those. Like I said, we have so much influence that can be used to really turn this ship around in education. One school, one district, one undergrad program at a time. Until next time, let's activate, motivate, and squad 